Okay, people. Well, welcome back to Counterspin. Now, this is the part where we get a couple of guests on and we break things down a little bit more with them. So this week, we are going to be talking more about Wellington or on tonight's show, we're talking more about Wellington and just what happened in Wellington because people are still trying to make sense of it all, Calvin, after everything that happened. They are. Still a lot of confusion. Um, of course, the police recently coming out with the LRADs that they used. Uh, there's still investigations going on. Still a lot of people who have been arrested or trespassed um, trying to sort out their cases. But of course, I just wanted to bring your guys' attention to an article that was <coughs> written back in 2009. And this is, an act, this is actually an apology for protest arrests 12 years later. And wait till you hear who was involved in it. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because is this what's going to happen to all of you who got arrested down in Wellington, the 120 of you? Uh, are you going to be getting an apology in the years to come when it all comes out just exactly what happened? Well, I hope so. So let's look at that article. It is exactly 12 years on, um, a 41 former student protesters who were arrested and subjugated, subjected to police abuses have received apologies and 150000 in compensation. The protesters who settled a 12-year legal wrangle out of court in July have now received apologies from Police Commissioner Howard Broad and Speaker of the House Lockwood Smith. It is the first apology issued from the Speaker's office. The students were arrested and some held overnight. Some alleged mistreatment, including assault and rough handling, all were unsuccessfully um, prosecuted for trespass. Human rights lawyer Tony Ellis, who represented the students, called the apologies a milestone. It's a day to be remembered in the history of civil rights in New Zealand. The 75 Victoria University students were arrested after Speaker of the House Doug Kidd issued a trespass notice as they protested against education policy in 1997. Among them were Labour MP Chris Hipkins, and he is, of course, uh, one of the main players in having rolled out this whole COVID-19 response. And uh, goes on to say, and Liam Hawkins, who said the apologies were crucial in reaching a settlement. The key thing in this stalemate was the apology. It's not really about the money. It's about the symbolic apology that says I shouldn't have been arrested for doing nothing more than prosecuting, uh, protesting, apologies, Mr. Hipkins said. Their case has set a precedent, ensuring protesters' freedoms, the men said. If you look at what happened this afternoon, and this was um, something they called a bikoi, uh, which where they had 6,000 to 7,000 motorcyclists, the security here made sure that they could get onto the grounds, they were, they were being safe in the grounds, and that they had all had places to park. There's a real recognition of the fact that this is the place <coughs> that people could come and protest, Mr. Hipkins said. The events of 1996 spurred him into politics. It was certainly a defining moment for me. 
Both men received about $5,000 in compensation yeah. allocated according to the severity of abuse suffered. Well, well, well. So in today's terms, Calvin, I think all those people who suffered, uh, who were violently assaulted by the police. some big paychecks. Yeah, because it was, in fact, the police uh, who did throw the first punch, so to speak. There was no riots. And, uh, yeah, of course, that was all um, under the the eye of Trevor Mallard, the current Speaker of the House here in New Zealand. And that's what this interview is about. It's about just exactly what was Mr Mallard up to? What did he... um, no, and what was he saying behind the scenes? Because, of course, we know he turned on the sprinklers to, to make the protesters go away. He put on that ridiculous mu- uh, music, Baby Shark, and... Um, Celine Dion, that shit's got to kill you. Yeah, and the mucker it, it, it will take you out, out of play. Yeah, he was absolutely playing games with the protest. So um, now we would like to welcome to the show the um, man who was helping negotiate behind the scenes, Scott Guthrie, it's great to have you on, and uh, thank you so much for being here. Kia ora, Hannah. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, um, Scott, just to just to start with, maybe could you just say a little bit about your background and how was it that you, in fact, got involved with uh, negotiations between um, people who were in leadership roles, so to speak, um, on the ground, not that there were any particular leaders, I suppose, and so you got talking to them and then the police and also Trevor Mallard in the end. How did that all come about? Yeah, it all came about. My history is um, lobbying, activism, whatever you want to call it, over the last 10 years in New Zealand, uh, predominantly in child abuse, but I've been around for quite a bit. And um, it wasn't the fact that uh, leaders of the protest contacted me. It was the police contacted me directly. They linked me to people that I might have known in Wellington, and um, and it came out of nowhere. And uh, that inspired me to directly contact Trevor Mallard. I had his um, cell phone number, and I'd worked with him um, as an opposition MP back in the day. And I just texted him and said, what's going on here, Trevor? And let's have a conversation. And that's how it all came about. Awesome. So we're going to start bringing up some of those texts. Um, the first one is, is you actually just making contact um, and just, you know, saying that uh, you, you know, in your opinion, that uh, he has gone, he's like, Sadly, this is what you wrote. Sadly, my opinion of you has lowered greatly over the years that you have been Speaker of the House for several reasons. Your treatment of protesters has, in my opinion, and the opinions of many Kiwis, been disgusting and you should resign. Um, Free speech is a human right. And then he came back uh, and he said, no one has the right um, to threaten, to kill, to urinate, to defecate on the lawn, to erect tents or block the city. No problem with speaking. I strongly support people's rights to do that. I'm not meeting with people who have threatened me and my family. I mean, what what were you thinking when he came back with uh, that? Because it's just there's, it's just full of lies that 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 text there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look, I had a conversation and um, a, a voice conversation with Trevor on the telephone about that first text. And, uh, and I put him on the spot and said to him, Trevor, I need to see evidence that your family and you have been threatened or defecated upon, whatever. And he could not provide me with that evidence. Um, I told him that I wasn't comfortable and that I wanted to take it further and I wanted to carry on the correspondence with him, which he openly, you know, 
and, and text message formally. He did openly carry on that conversation, but we also had three or four more conversations on the telephone. Because then he went on to say, I would prefer you to text email names. I can't be seen to be in contact with anyone who has direct contact with leaders. I mean, can you just explain a bit more about that? What, what did that mean to you? What it meant to me was that he was scared to be um, actually seen in the public eye talking to someone who could actually talk sense to or, or communicate, shall I say, with um, protest leaders, komatua, whatever it might be. He did not want to be seen doing that. Why? Because he was the guy that was blocking everybody out. Jacinda was involved. Yes, we know that. But we've got to remember that Trevor Mallard was the third most powerful politician in the country and still is to this day. Um, and he could have stopped it. What it said to me was that we don't want to communicate. We're just going to be arrogant. You'll do as we're told. And that's what Jacinda's been doing to the whole country since she came to power. Because you then went on to say, Trevor, I need to understand what you're offering this afternoon as I read it. You have reached out to all parties with the possibility of starting dialogue if all structures are dismantled and streets are cleared. Am I in the ballpark? Thank you. And he said, and he added, and intimidation stops. Um, and then you went on to say, it's pretty clear the police aren't interested. You could actually stop this by talking or sending a representative team to simply talk in a neutral venue, what harm is that going to do? Trevor, seriously, the longer this drags on, the more harm is done. I'm trying to be proactive here. So so how were you feeling at this point? Because, I mean, you're obviously really trying to get things going, and he just he just seems completely disinterested. I mean, you, you did actually carry on to say, seriously, I'm trying to help. It's quite simple. Protesters do not believe that police can change policy, and you and I both know they can't. So why not a non-publicised discussion with police in attendance? It's exactly like he was, right, he Anna. Just, he was passing. He was. It was like he was trying to throw the ball to the police. Then they were throwing it back to him, and you were kind of stuck in the middle, trying to trying to get dialogue with with protesters. Totally correct, and and that was the problem. Was that you know Travis threw the ball at me and said, "Hey." you guys need to talk to the police. I was speaking to the police, and he knew that. And the police told me very clearly so many times that they had no power. They could not do anything. The only person that could change anything was Trevor Mallard. And I went back to them and said, he tells us that you guys call the shot. And they came back to me and said to me quite clearly, Jacinda and Trevor Mallard had told them, told them, that the only person or people that could actually create change was them, and they did not want to listen to protesters. The police were frustrated. They were so frustrated it wasn't funny. It was like they were playing tennis. It was pathetic. They actually wanted to organise a meeting, sit down around the table, a negotiated meeting. I formulated that with people, good people, like Leighton Baker, Carling Hediora, People like that were prepared to come to the table and Mallard just kept shutting us out. The police were so frustrated it wasn't funny. Yeah, because he then he then came back to you, um, you know, when you're basically pleading with him to come and meet. And he basically said, we do not um, meet with people who are terrorising Wellingtonians and as recently as today threatened to execute my colleagues 
get those streets open and stop intimidation and a discussion will be considered. Now, I mean, in any group, there's always going to be some people who, you know, are unfavorable or whatever. But what I mean, from what we were seeing on the ground, 99% of the people were just absolutely middle of the road, average Kiwis, just wanting for the government to hear them. There wasn't, I didn't see any abuse or I didn't see any terrorizing going on. No, there wasn't terrorising going on, and, and the terrorising that was going on would have been formulated from Mallard himself. People were were aggrieved with what he was doing, but the people on the ground were not doing any terrorising whatsoever. Then we bring into the to the rotation Mallard and Adern clearly gave Andrew Costa so much pressure. Put your boys out there and start creating a terrorism look so New Zealand would think that it's been terrorised by the processes, which was factually not true. Andrew Costa was a fish out of water, did not know what he was doing. Even his boys told me quite clearly that their leader was lost and they really did not have any instruction to go with on a day-to-day process. It was very clear. Yeah, because... um... You know, the, the way the mainstream media started portraying the protest very early on, they were trying to say this is foreign imported ideology. You know, this is Trump supporters. This is going to be another January 6th. They started trying to almost create this narrative. And then by the time the police came in that, you know, that first week, it was all on. Like they they pulled out so many people. And you, you ended up saying actually that um, you, you were giving assurance that in no way, shape or form Will there be any aggression towards anyone? Trevor, please understand this is not an ultimatum, simply an offer that has been put to me as someone who is independent and trying to bring this to a peaceful end. Now, do you remember kind of where whereabouts in in the in the timeline this conversation was happening with Trevor? Yeah, absolutely. A bit midstream. So so what happened there was that I had been invited into the Kaumatua tent that was set up on the Parliament grounds. And the Kaumatua tent was not just entered into by anybody. It was only people of invitation. And I spoke to Kaumatua, Carling Order, and people like that. And we had closed door meetings, conversations about what was going to happen, the process going forward. And I was sent back with instructions to give to Trevor Mallard. None of those instructions were ever threatening. They were only good instructions, positive instructions. We want to come to the table. We will do this. We were talking about bringing rat tests into Parliament grounds for people that were attending the process, etc. Good stuff was going on there, and we were just totally being ignored. So I was, as you've said, neutral at the time. I had no allegiance to any group. I was simply the man in the middle and still Trevor Mallard. All he wanted to do was to fight and to create a fight on the ground and make the protesters look like they were the ones that caused it, when in reality, he was the one that caused it, him and Jacinda. End of story. Yeah, because then he went on to say, tell them I will come down Mm. when they stop intimidation, shift cars and remove tents and structures and um you said yeah that you 
Uh, and then he, he also says, please make the offer to the police. I will not undermine them. When you when you come back and said um, you don't want to see aggression of any kind and um, you're not doing this publicly and you said I'm doing this for the betterment of our country. Um, so so then he's, yeah, he's pushing you back over to the police. He's kind of not really wanting to get involved again at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look at the time, but as I've said to you previously, the police were totally frustrated because I would go back to them and say, Trevor has said this to me, and they'd go, no, that's not how it's happening. So clearly there was no uh, clear communication between government and the police. The police were frustrated. The communication between government and police was at Andrew Costa's level. Costa let the country down because he was not portraying what his people wanted. When I say his people, I mean the police, what they were prepared to do. Look look at the images that we've seen around the countryside of police sitting on the curbside in tears because they knew what the hell was going on there was totally, totally wrong. Yeah, now, and, and um, this, is, this is the one that I found to be uh, the most disturbing. You said, it seems clear the leaders are not moving anything or clearing anything. Without being obnoxious, can I suggest that a discussion in a neutral venue would at least start the road to solving issues? Regards. And then he comes back and he says, again, that is a matter for police. You know we can't meet with Nazis and serious criminals. I just, right. I, I, I don't even know what to say. This is supposed to be the leader of the House of the New Zealand Parliament. And that's where our Trevor and my relationship started to go pear-shaped because when he started labelling good, honest people, New Zealand citizens, as Nazis and criminals, that's when it came to an end. Even the police were disgusted when they heard that. Just Trevor was, as I've said to you before, Trevor was looking for a fight and he was going to get a fight whether the country liked it or not. He wasn't prepared to listen to anybody. And that's all he wanted to do was to label people. When I received that text message calling people Nazis and criminals, I actually spoke to him on the telephone and in no uncertain terms, he just basically said to me, you're all a pack of losers and all you want is to cause mayhem. And I said, no, Trevor, you're totally wrong. We want to come to the table. You're the one that wants to fight. And he just shut me down. End of story. Yeah, and the um, the interesting thing about that is as well is that, um, I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but uh, the New Zealand Parliament was flying the Ukrainian flag and the, the Ukrainian flag was also flying um, above the museum uh, on Anzac Day, and of course, those are people that um, apparently they are the real Nazis there. So, um, and the other thing that I would want to bring up at this point is Mallard. He he released a code of conduct uh, for people following bad behaviour in Parliament. Now, that was something that he pushed through, um, or and he, and he wanted he released the value statement. This is back in twenty twenty. Now, reports that we uh, get from. Trevor Mallard and his behaviour in Parliament, uh, you know, he, he's apparently one of the biggest bullies there is. What we've got to remember in the country, and, and people tend to forget, is this country has forked out 
$330,000 in legal fees defending Trevor Millard when he labelled a parliamentarian employee as a rapist. This is what the country needs to remember, the cost that that guy has come from labelling people. Shocking, absolutely shocking. Destroyed someone's life, their career, by labelling a person as a rapist. And yet we, as taxpayers, forked out $330,000 in legal fees to defend Mallard. That is wrong, with a capital W. Absolutely. And then, of course, now... um... Winston Peters is, um, you know, is taking him uh, to court, and what? And now, but now, after all of this, everything that the way he treated everybody and the way he allowed those trespass orders to be dished out, and, and of course the violence and the abuse from the police against uh, really upstanding Kiwis who just want to be heard, and 120 politicians, not one of them coming out to speak to them. Um, in over three weeks, now he gets basically bundled up and, he, and he's been offered a cushy job uh, a year early from what I understand from when he was actually going to resign or when, when his term was coming to an end. And he's going to have a diplomatic post over in Europe. Yeah, totally, totally opposed to that. Hannah, first of all, can I just um, address one point that you raised uh, when you brought up the name Winston Peters, what this country needs to remember and I've got a lot of respect for Winston, is Winston is the reason that Trevor Mallard and Jacinda Ardern are in power in this country. And people need to remember that when they go to the polls. That's really important. Now I'll turn to the petition and Trevor Mallard's posting overseas. His posting as a diplomatic person, shall we say, on behalf of New Zealand is totally wrong. That guy, I've mentioned the $330,000 in legal fees, but also what politician in their right mind would spend $582,000 on a slide in the grounds of Parliament for children? We have spent, or he has cost us, over nearly a million dollars on stuff that should never have happened. That is wrong, and now we're going to send him overseas paying him a salary of $350,000 plus a free house, plus a limousine, plus servants. It's like, thanks so much for what you've done to this country. He's done nothing to this country. So the petition that that I I brought forward may have only got 3,500 signatures, but it still is a very strong message. Jacinda, do not do this. And I'm now seeking an assurance from any further elected government in the future, that they'll bring them home as soon as they're elected to power and hopefully in October of next year, that they will bring him home because he needs to be held accountable and he should not be given the privilege of being a diplomatic person for our country overseas because that's just totally an embarrassment. Yeah, I think um, even within the halls of power, I don't think there's many uh, from what we can understand uh, who would actually disagree with you and who would actually say any positive things about Trevor Mallard. Um, So thanks, Scott, for joining us. Uh, We'll talk to you another time. And before we bring Dana on, I just wanted to let you know about another story 
of a man who was uh, trespassed from Parliament grounds. He was actually arrested down there, a lovely man by the name of Steve Crawford. Now, he had a court hearing, um, and of course, that um, apparently, you know, somehow he didn't make it to the the, the hearing. And what happened when he got, uh, this was in the Hawke's Bay, and what happened was that the police actually turned up at his doorstep um, and him and his wife answered the door and they said that they were coming to arrest him and they were um and, and so so steve actually said he just needed to help his wife amelia who has some health conditions and he just needed to get her set up with her medication and she was just uh she'd been up all night hearing the fact that her mother was um dying as well so she, she was in a very heightened state so before steve wanted to uh, go with the police um he wanted to make sure she was all right and so what actually happened was the police ended up um, barging in. Uh, he was leaning over the couch and they they basically ambushed him. Uh, one of the police officers apparently had the handcuffs wrapped around his knuckles and they ended up punching him. So what we're going to do is we are going to show you some photos. So if there are children watching or if you're a little bit queasy, um, or you just don't really want to see some some real horrific police brutality, then please just look away now uh, because we're going to bring those um, pictures up uh, because it is very, very hard viewing and it's very harrowing to know that this is what happened to a very gentle, uh, loving, peaceful man who uh, really enjoyed Wellington. He just thought it was one of the most greatest experiences of his life um, where everybody was happy and everybody was looking after, him, after the, uh, each other. To then um, have the police barge in at his home and brutally assault him. Um, and then that, uh, yep, so when you're ready, we'll bring those pictures up. Um, this is just really, you know, it, they they took a big cut out of his eye. Uh, there was a lot of blood. He had to go and get stitches. Um, he did end up going with the police and they took him and they put him in a cell uh, and he still needed to be seen. He was asking for medical attention. The nurse there in the cell did actually uh, give him a few stitches, but uh, he still needed further attention. There you see the blood. Apparently it was just dripping all the way down the um, the, 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 the footpath and onto the road. Um, and he then had to actually be taken to the hospital to get a CT scan. Uh, he got nine stitches. Um, and when he got back again to the cell after that, the, the 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 dressing was so soaked, he needed it changed, but they wouldn't let him get it changed. Um, and Calvin, when we spoke to his partner today, she was just she was just absolutely devastated. She was. And um, Steve, we invited Steve on the show, but it's just it's getting really difficult to talk about. And um, any of us who are in this, you know, on the front lines, it's just it's not easy, is it? No, it's not. I mean, if you were down in Wellington, you'd all know it was great. And I'm 100% in support of everyone who was there. All those people who are trying to make a difference, trying to save their jobs, or everyone who was mandated out of them, everyone who was treated like utter, with utter disdain by the government because they refused to take what is actually a depopulation bioweapon. Let's face it. Um, it's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Trevor Mallard, that is not, they are not your grounds. You guys are meant to be working for the people. You're meant to take the common will of the people into parliament elect the uncommon intelligence to do what we want you to get done. You have failed miserably on every one of those counts and more. So if any of you are in the Hastings area uh, on the 15th of September, um, Steve will be 
appearing in court again, this time as a separate charge. Um, and he is actually being accused of abusing the police. So the police um, lied about everything that happened. Uh, when he when they actually took him into the station, the woman behind the desk made a joke about, oh, another one's hit the door handle. So, um, you know, these people are just, and they all just laughed. They just all thought it was hilarious. So, um, you know, this this is a real, uh, it, it's a real, real hard We do experience. have to say that not every cop is bad. No, of course not. There are some good ones out there, but like I've said continuously before, it's only scum that rises to the top. Costa, like was said, he was way out of his comfort zone for a start. He should never have been in the job. I think Short would have been a better person to have in there. At least he would have come down and spoken to people as well. Um, <clears throat> and the glee of which some of those officers were firing off those um, rubber rounds or bloody what, Nerf bullets or whatever, um, tried to get me in the back of the head, missed, uh, got someone else. Um, it was It was almost like it was sport for them. You could see it in their eyes, and I'm sure some of them weren't actually cops i think they were brought in from the day maybe the breach um squad uh, corrections were brought in uh to do some of that because there was a lot of cops there you could see in their faces they didn't want to be there they had sympathy for a lot of the people in the crowd so i don't hold all the cops to account but i definitely hold every single bloody politician in that place to account and uh they as i said before that's a crime scene needs to be cordoned off parasite palace needs to be fumigated so again, 15th of September, at 9 a.m., if you can make it to the Hastings Court, um, uh, we know that Steve and Amelia would be very grateful for your support because um, out of the ordinary, he, Steve has actually opted for a trial by jury. So let's <coughs> see how that goes. Now, um, our thoughts and uh, prayers are with you both at this time. So our, our next guest is, of course, a Counterspin media correspondent. You would have all loved watching her uh, down there bringing you the live footage from the front line. Uh, but what you may not know is that down, uh, well, in Auckland, uh, in lockdown, level four, yep. Dana, uh, the hearty warrior, was actually arrested uh, along with uh, the... A lovely lawyer, also a hearty warrior, Liz Lambert. Uh, they were both arrested on the same day um, for taking a leisurely walk around Altair Square. So let's just play that tape and then we'll come back, get a bit of a breakdown <laughs> from Dana about that day and get her comments about Wellington as well and what she saw in terms of um, the police abuse. The 1649 Act and what it means today for the COVID Response Act 2020. 
On the morning of the 30th January 1649, the last king of the Norman invasion of England, Charles Stuart, aka Charles I of England and Ireland, was beheaded at the Tower of London. The same afternoon, an Act of Parliament that has never been repealed was passed by the Parliament, prohibiting the proclamation of any person as King of England, Ireland or the Dominions. At that time, the 13 American colonies were part of the dominions of the British Crown. The crime committed by making such a proclamation was treason, the same crime that Charles was convicted of by a jury of his peers. This means that every other king or queen proclaimed after the execution of Charles I was a traitor to the Parliament of England and subsequently to New Zealand. This list of traitors includes King William IV, who issued the flag known as the Hefakaputanga on 28 October 1832, and Queen Victoria, who signed the Treaty of Waitangi by Governor Hobson on the 6th of February 1840. All the subsequent legislation signed by Governor General since then and on occasion by Queen Elizabeth II when on state visits to this country have been signed by traitors to the Parliament of New Zealand. The fruit of the poison tree is poison itself. Do not fear, we still have the common law in this country via Section 5 of the Imperial Laws Application Act 1988. The COVID-19 Public Health Response Act 2020 is not, however, part of the common law. It could better be described as an internationally illegal imperial law designed to ensure subservience and surveillance. In the case of demonstrations like today, it may also be used as an enrollment, as an enforcement officer in an attempt to extract revenue out of unsuspecting persons in the crowd. The ticket may be issued by an enforcement officer, for example, a constable who swears an oath to the fraudulent Queen Elizabeth II of England. For exercising this peaceful right of free speech, the cost is set at 4000 Like any other infringement ticket, you may pay up within 28 days and that will be a complete defence to the charge. Schedule 3 of the Act. However, you may also defend yourself against the charge. We would suggest that the fact that the Act has been authorised by a fraudulent Governor-General, in this case Dame Patsy Reddy, that the defence of fraud is an excellent starting point. Our Act at Section 4A purports to support a public health response that prevents and limits the risk of the outbreak or spread of the disease, taking into account the infectious nature and potential for asymptomatic, means not ill, transmission of COVID-19. Therefore, a further question needs to be asked of the Ministry of Health as to what is the actual form of transmission as none has ever been pinpointed as far as we know. And that, of course, is credit given to our very own Team Zulu for filming and editing that footage. So, Dana, you were a hot topic on the old Aotea Square there as you're running away. You're walking away, actually. It felt like Keystone Cops trying to chase you. Um, You read out the document as as you're walking around. Yeah. um, So how how was the approach made? Well, you know, so what they did is they – 
I mean, I think they've been going around, if I remember correctly, um, asking people uh, where where had they come from, where did they live, right? And uh, by qu- asking that question, what they were attempting to determine was whether or not those uh, they're exercising their rights um, to move freely uh, were outside their districts basically outside their five uh kilometer zone hey i'm just gonna apologize because if you can hear uh you guys might be able to hear my dog i've got an american blue steffi and he's at my feet snoring at the moment so uh apologies no worries Uh, yeah and so um i just ignore that question because um, as far as I was concerned, they had no right to be asking me or even approaching me uh, because they were um, apparently there to uh, enforce COVID restrictions, right, based on, based on the Health Response Act. So that should mean that they should then stay, you know, adhere to that two-metre distance rule, um, which they failed to do, as you can see in that video. Um, so I just continued to walk and... Um, mind my own business and uh read yeah because I, I noticed that when we were there as well there was a lot of tv cameras there was other cameras that mm. other people had was they weren't getting hassled at all of course we were right. there because we were like there to film to see what was going on now yeah. if i remember rightly that was um a post that we went around um facebook and other platforms advising of a big protest and all that sort of thing and it turned out to be somewhat of a fizzer yeah and um so it was all almost like it was orchestrated. There was a hell of a lot of cops in behind the town town hall, and there was um and they were all prepped and ready to go. <laughs> and the fact that they were just following people around, trying to give them pieces of paper. Um, and of course, I heard some of them say, "Oh, it's for your education only." But it wasn't really. It was right, basically right. a, a warning. Remember, mm. uh, so they could then snap you next time. Real devious, yeah, real devious plans. Um, so when, so, so when they, you got arrested, <laughs> like, like a little crim, they, they, they I mean, did you see how many it, they used, they surrounded me? I didn't even realize it was that many, um, that had surrounded me until, uh, I think it was our director that showed me the footage. That's right. Well, you were and, too busy reading. Yeah. So, um, that actually surprised me, um, you know, uh. Yeah, clearly, uh, we must have been at an all-time um, low crime rate at that point in time uh, for there to be that many um, prepared to uh, surround little old me uh, <laughs> on a, what was it, Saturday? Saturday, yeah. Sunday? Now, I remember, um, as usual, mainstream media spinning it, spinning it the best way they can, and they come up with the, with the um, that you've been arrested and you are now enforced isolation behind bars. An anti-lockdown protester now forced into isolation behind bars. It's been just four days of lockdown, but already 17 people face charges for flouting the rules and 53 formal warnings have been issued. It had nothing to do with this whole COVID myth. The fact you got arrested because you were somewhere where they believed you shouldn't be. So they so they take you off. Mainstream media does their normal buzz, uh, and you were out soon after, weren't you? 
I was. Actually, I think I may have been one of the fastest people to have been released um, based on these alleged bre uh, breaches of COVID restrictions. And, um, you know, that use of language are uh, forced into uh, uh, isolation, I think. It was managed isolation, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, that, um, that actually blew me away. I thought that was fucking crazy, to be honest. Yeah. Now, okay, <clears throat> so they, they, they chase you around. They envelop you. They arrest you. They take you to the cells. Talk us through from... From there, was anything said? Was it any long-winded interrogation? Did they ask you who else you were there with? You know, other people you may know, anything like that? Or was it just basically come in here, process, see you later? Well, uh, first of all, when they took uh, me around the corner, um, so they arrested me and they walked me out of sight and around the corner. Then we went around the corner and there's all these cars, paddy wagons, um, it was just ridiculous, a ridiculous amount of uh, police. So which makes me then reiterate what I said earlier, um, that we must have been at an all-time low with regards to crime uh, mm -hmm. for there to be that amount of police sitting around the back there uh, hiding. And then uh, whilst I um, was being held there in the paddy wagon, um, I listened to some of the officers talk about uh, those that weren't um, or that were questioning the COVID uh, scam uh, pandemic uh, as though they were absolute scum, talking about taking them for a boot ride, um, shouldn't even bother arresting them, just chuck them in the boot and, you know, I go dump them somewhere. Um and then whilst I was there, then they brought in another canine unit. Um, so, yeah. And they never, uh, uh, they did ask me my name, sorry, but I never gave any of my details. Um, and then they brought Liz in, and Liz and I had a bit of a chat. <laughs> and then uh, we were um, chauffeured to... Uh, Mount Eden uh, Prison, where we were brought in, and I remember one of the uh, guards coming up to the paddy wagon and just asking outright, um, which one's Dana? And um, so they already knew who I was, even though I'd given nothing, and um, another guard said, that's her right there. And so they pulled me out, and they didn't really ask me anything, to be honest. They just got me out of there as fast as possible. Um, in fact, uh, one of the uh, guards there, the Asian guard, interestingly enough, he was the nicest um, to me. He said, look, let's just get you out of here uh, as fast as possible. And uh, it was uh, the other guards that were hostile and uh, thought it was all a bit of a joke. So, yeah. Which yeah. just goes to show... <clears throat> intelligence and police is a bit of an oxymoron mm. should have been questioning it i mean cops are all about what they're supposed to do of course is is if there's a, a suspicion of a crime taking place they need to follow the chain of evidence to its ultimate conclusion and there they should find the perpetrator instead mm. of looking at someone and trying to build a case to them which is so often the case in this country anyway so okay 
let's take it past there. You got arrested. You got you got let out. Fastest isolation period. I mean, it beats MIQ weights. Um, and then you finally, finally, after Wellington, all that, you finally get to court. What happens next? Okay, so and this might I add, so uh, they had rescheduled the court date several times, and uh, every time it came up to that court uh, date, I would call and say, hey, is this uh, still scheduled? And uh, they'll say, oh, look, um, no, no, it's been rescheduled. And so if I hadn't even checked, um, I'd be turning up every single time only to be told, sorry, it's not happening today. So, and then I, I came to, I think, about the fifth or sixth time, maybe be more than that, and I just forgot. And so uh, then I get... Um, an email from a police officer uh, from the Henderson Police Station uh, notifying me that I've got a warrant out for my arrest. Wow. And uh, so not long after receiving that email, I went in and uh, spoke to the courts. And uh, as you guys know, uh, I then uh, showed up at court uh, last week. Yep. And uh, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> and how and, and what was um what was the outcome of these graven charges that you were facing? So I when I went in, I said that I was going to represent myself yep. because to me it is a very black and white case. Um, I do not believe, did not believe that I had committed a crime. Uh, so uh, I said I was going to represent myself, walked straight into the courthouse, had a conversation uh, with the sergeant and a couple other uh, lawyers in there, and I said, hey, look, because uh, I just thought I'd get a bit of advice. Um, I've said I'm going to represent myself. Um, this is what's happening. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts? You know, it's pretty simple, right? And so they had a look at it and uh, said, oh, um, gave me a little bit of advice, and then we proceeded. And the uh, judge said to me, um, you know, what did you get? What was the warrant for? And I said, um, because apparently, uh, because I breached COVID restrictions. And the judge goes, allegedly, you allegedly broke COVID uh, restrictions. Right. I said, correct. Allegedly. I breached COVID restrictions. And um, then he questioned Sergeant a bit with regards to that. And uh, and then he came back to me and he um, said, you know, what, what were you doing? And so I proceeded to tell him that I was exercising my rights at Altier Square in Auckland um, and that I also had footage of it because the police were saying they had no evidence of anything. And I said, well, I mean, I've got footage. I can show you um, that I committed no crime. I didn't even breach the COVID restrictions because I wasn't um, conversing with, the, with anyone. So, you know, I was uh, technically speaking adhering to all that uh, rubbish. So, uh, yeah, so he just, he just said, well, you know, um, Waved the warrant uh, of arrest, waved that, 
and then he went into more depth with me with regards to uh, what happened that day. And he said, uh, now what is, uh, what do you do? What's this uh, media? Now, mention of media. Now, I'd had my press pass on me that day and I had uh, tucked it in my top. Um, I didn't pull it out because some people said, why don't you pull your press pass out? And I purposely didn't because I thought I would just uh, move as me. And uh, so then um, I talked to him about that and went into depth with him with regards to Counterspin Media. And he said, what's Counterspin Media? And I said, well, uh, we are a media platform that launched last year um, and we are facts and evidence based. And he goes, oh, I'm all about the facts and evidence. <laughs> and um, so we discussed that now. Also, while this was happening, you've got to remember in the courtroom, there are others. Um, so there are people sitting in the, um, and I get, um, forget what you call the area with all the seating, the waiting ring, yeah. wing, um, who are also listening to this conversation. So I'm talking to him about Counterspin Media and, uh, you know, what it is we do. And um, he found that most fascinating. And so I thought that was really cool that I was able to discuss that with him. Um, and anyway, uh, they then, because I was pleading not guilty to those charges, uh, because, as I said, I don't believe I committed a crime, he then uh, had a conversation with the sergeant and uh, the sergeant said, because I was pleading not guilty, that it needed to go back to Auckland. Um, to uh, the Auckland District Court and uh, the judge overrode that and he said, Brilliant. he basically said to the sergeant, well, um, you can blame me, um, but I'm wiping it and so he That's dismissed awesome. all charges. That's good. That's actually a very good outcome because <clears throat> let's face it, um, the whole thing's rubbish. The whole thing's a scam. We know it. You know it. They know it. They're Absolutely. Trying, they're just trying to please their masters, get a few more bucks in their back pocket while they're devastating the country. That's why they're going after everyone. United Nations 2030 agenda, you name it, chemtrails, 1080 poison, fluoridization in the water. We are toast if we don't stop all of this and start rolling it back. I'm actually ready for a Wellington 2.0 myself. But this time we don't leave until the government's gone, every single one of them. Put people in there who will actually do what we want. Well, I mean, you all know how I feel with regards to all this. Um, I believe the entire government structure needs to go. Um, at no point in time has that uh, structure served we, the people. Sorry. In fact, it progressively gets worse and worse, and hence we are in the state, our country's in the state that it's in, uh, in 2022. Um, and we've got the need for plat media um, for platforms like Councilman Media because um, we've got such a massive lie being perpetrated through the throughout the country. Exactly. So let's hope we can keep going and keep look up. We're you know we're into, off to a bit of a fits and starts here. We um, trying to iron everything out very hard on those you know skeleton crew when you're trying to get everything done. Uh, we don't have any big sponsors like we keep saying. We only sounds like we keep harping on about it. But if people want this to keep going. You know, buy us a cup of coffee or something. Just honestly, our team do so well on 
you know, the very little that we managed to put together. And I have faith in the people. I believe um, I believe the people will come through with regards to this because there's such a need for a, a platform like Councilman Media. So I have faith in them. I believe they'll come through. I believe we will keep going and uh, we will not only keep going, but uh, Councilman Media will continue to evolve and uh, it'll squash mainstream media. Yep, exactly. And uh, let's face it, <clears throat> we're all facts and evidence. And we're still waiting. We are still waiting. The challenges have been put out there to pink-haired lady, you know, Baker and, and, and Hendy and that other clown, to just bring the evidence. Show us the two years of devastation of this country, its people, <clears throat> the business, you know, that, 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 that people have lost, the houses, the families ripped apart. You show us it was all worth it. You show us what it was predicated on. And I guarantee it's a lie because now they're starting to do the message adjustment. They're starting to recalculate how they look at things, although they were so sure that what they were doing last time was right. Thousands and thousands of cases and people are in hospital. Yet they didn't tell you how many of those people in hospital were there for elective surgeries, were there because they broke their leg or they got too pissed at a party and fell over. You know what I mean? And oh, and we've had 96 people in the country die. Okay, but what of? Car accidents, you know what I mean? Heart disease, what is it? Honestly, they, you have really got to question where the heck... Um, people's uh, um, critical thinking is at because we are seeing our community pages full of sudden deaths. Uh, we are seeing the local notice boards um, full of sudden deaths. Um, we have got here, we've had at the local marae here, we have had a tangy rolling in at one after another. Um, at and Urupa, no one's connecting the dots. And no one's connecting the dots. Well, you know, we say that, but um, are they or are they actually putting it together, but no one really just wants to look at it because looking at it means that they have to admit that they've gone and fucked themselves and uh, quite possibly those that have pushed it throughout their family, screwed Murderous. their entire family, and loved ones, um, yeah, it's devastating. I'm sure some of our viewers and um, you, are, you know, those watching, I'm sure you guys have all noticed the increase uh, within um, our local marae um, with regards to tangi, um, with regards to the burials we're seeing at Thurupa, there has been a massive increase. We were at a tangi uh, a couple months ago in uh, Auckland, and there was, it's the first time I've ever seen it, we actually uh, lost the tapapku, <laughs> uh, the body. Uh, we weren't, we weren't uh, moving it, uh, but um, <clears throat> we uh, lost the position and ended up at the wrong uh, urupa, the wrong cemetery, and whilst we were going around looking, there was just tangi after tangi after tangi after tangi. And interestingly enough, a lot of them were quite young. And then when we did finally find the correct uh, cemetery, there were, again, tangi after tangi after tangi. And I've never, ever seen anything like that. Yeah, um, like, like I said, that's physical evidence. Mm. 
there's a there's a see because there's they can massage the figures whichever way they like they can call it cases with of whatever they want to strike it doesn't matter we know that's a scam what they can't hide is the excess mortality rate that this country's um finding mm. because any particular year you expect certain people to die because they're elderly you expect the flu to take people out whatever but when you have a marked increase in a major departure from the normal statistics from mm. um the mortality rate you know there's something wrong because the only introduction in that time period was the jab the jab is killing people and it's about time someone in the police actually started arresting people it is murder and every day you delay and every death that happens from here on in is on your hands so i suggest you get out your little uh training booklets and you look under crimes real crimes not this covert breach of COVID rules or someone jaywalks or something, have a look. You're meant to be there to protect people, to save lives. Lives have been destroyed and you are still sitting on your asses doing absolutely nothing about mm. it. And all you motherfuckers that uh, uh, keep preaching that protect your fucker papa, uh, you guys have got a lot to answer for um, because you still are yet to show us how uh, by consuming this product, this uh, um, mRNA, this uh, biotechnology, uh, it is protecting our whakapapa. Right. I'm yet Not to see the evidence. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because all I'm seeing is our whānau are dying and are suffering major side effects. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you're going to be held accountable. Yep. Well, let's hope someone is, and we'll, we'll keep pushing for it. We'll keep exposing things, and we'll keep the dots getting connected. And hopefully, when the jigsaw's put together, they'll see the full picture. Something will be done. So thanks very much, Dana. You're a gem. You're most Glad welcome. you got off scot-free, as it were. And, um, we will <laughs> go out now. <laughs> we'll go out now on uh, Casey Hutchinson's song, actually. I think people will enjoy that. Stick around to listen to that. And uh, we will see you again, hopefully. on the Night, next. team. Poor my year later. And what's left to say is present working
can find Counterspin, New Zealand's media revolution, at counterspinmedia.com. And now, on the InfoWars Network, at band.video. Mama, I have an ouchie. It's okay, Mama will fix it. Simply shake ouchie powder directly onto the wound. The natural antibiotic properties of ouchie powder will sterilize the wound. Once the powder is applied, wait a few seconds while the ouchie powder absorbs the excess blood and forms a protective layer sealing the wound. Thanks, Mum. Can I go play now? Ouchie powder fixes wounds fast. <laughs> 